Yeah. Hello, church. It is great being with you today. I want to welcome in those watching online as well as us in Victorville today. We are continuing our teaching series on the family. And as Pastor Todd mentioned last weekend, the seasons of life go very fast. All right? And it goes so fast that if you don't stop and slow down and really evaluate, you will miss it. That's why we're all challenging you not to blink. 26 years ago, Winnie and I made the move from a suburb of Portland, Oregon to the equally green, lush hills of the high desert. Uh, It might sound strange now, but when we were in Oregon back then, it was an idyllic place. Lots of friends, great church, beautiful home, a, a safe community. Um, the recreation, the, the, the hills, the mountains, the rivers, everything was amazing up there. We loved it in Oregon, and then God calls us to HDC. So we packed up the U-Haul and started driving an I-5 down to Victorville, California, which we discovered is called the key city of the high desert. What it unlocks, we have no idea, but that's what they call it. And we just knew when we arrived on that August day, it was 103 degrees and screaming hot. On that trip, we also had our two young daughters that were going with us. Here's a picture of our little family on the very first weekend of us at HDC. Yeah, I know, isn't that crazy? I know, scary. Uh, Within a few years, we added another daughter and a son, and here's a picture of them, a little bit of our young family as we started growing. Uh, We still went back to the Northwest periodically. This is up at Whistler. And uh, traveled around Um, But as we kind of look back on these times, uh, we really realized we didn't have a clue about what desert life was like. We had no clue what a uh, a hula ho was. Seriously, we had no idea what a hula ho was. We, um, to be honest, had never thought about the benefits of a dry heat, because that's what we hear about the desert. Oh, it's a dry heat. It's not that hot. It's that hot. And then being from Oregon, we never realized that you could have a river that's invisible, I mean, now it's crazy because you actually see the river, you know, you walk, but back they you know, there's, there's a Mojave River, that's a river under there, great, looks like dirt. We had to figure out where to live, where would we uh, build our home, what kind of family and friends would we develop, and spiritually, we wanted our lives to count for something, to, to make an impact for Christ. But then on a very practical level, we also wanted to enjoy California and all that offers without becoming Californiaized. I know that's not a real word, but I think you know what I mean. Because we all recognize the power of a place and what it can do to us if it gets a hold of us and how it could also erode our faith and tear into our family. So moving here, we really had a dilemma, these two ideas, and if you wanted to bring them into one thought, it was basically this, how do we build a family that honors God while living in the middle of a broken down world? I don't know if any of you share that concern, but that's what we came into this world with. And to be honest, I, don't, I, I joke a little bit about California, I'll be mentioned a little bit later, but this could be the more preferred spots of Idaho or Tennessee or Texas or any place that we think is better. But it doesn't matter where that is. These are real issues. They're so real that Jesus himself spoke at this. Look what he said in John 17. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's talking to disciples, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it, Jesus said. Sanctify them by the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. No matter what stage in life you are or where you are being sent, Jesus is indeed putting you out into the world to make a kingdom impact. Whether you as an individual or perhaps you and your family actually make that impact is more than on your good intentions. Because you and your family's future depends on how you respond to God's word today. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I'll set the background of this story up for you. Moses has led the people of God out of Egypt to the east side of Israel. He is on the eastern side of the Jordan. He's going to be moving into the land. That land was called California, no, it was called Canaan. This is the place God was sending his people to raise their families and impact their world for the glory of God. But it also was a place that was broken and corrupt. In Moses' day, the question was really, how do I live in Canaan without becoming a Canaanite? You and I live in a different place in a different time, but we have the same challenge. So starting in verse one, let's discover God's timeless plan for building a home that honors him no matter where you have been sent. This is God's word. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. When you look at those words, Moses is saying here, keep the decrees and the commands, the statutes of God. Earlier we read that Jesus said, sanctify them to the Father by your truth. And both of those statements are affirming that living well in whatever land you have been sent all comes down to learning obeying and submitting to God's word. That is the key to having a life that makes an impact for the glory of God. The Bible and what it teaches and how we apply it helps keep the Canaan out of the Canaanites. It helps to keep the California out of the Californians. It helps keep the Oregon out of the Oregonians. That is what God will protect us through. And that word of God will also not just keep us protected from what's outside, but it will impress upon us Jesus Christ as Lord of our life and Lord of our home. And that is God's calling for everyone. So how do we do that? Well, let's jump into that. 
First, God's word has to be internalized by you. It has to move to the inside of who you are. Look at verses four through six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This passage is known as the great Shema. That word Shema is Hebrew for hear, that hear, O Israel, the Shema. And it means here that Yahweh, God, is totally unique. He alone is God and he is one. And he reaches out to your life and to mine for one primary reason, and that is that you and I would love him. Last week, Pastor Todd talked briefly about this idea of affection and reminded us that Jesus actually reaffirmed this commandment in the New Testament. That we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. So if we're moving into these lands or we're living in this world, why does it start here? Well, it's simple because rules never transform, but love does. You can never have rules change you from the inside out. What you love most defines you most clearly. It'll motivate you, it will grow you, it'll move you, because what you love controls you. But there is a link between our love for God and the Word of God. Moses is affirming that our love for God actually will cause the Word of God to take hold in our heart. If you look at that last phrase there in verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. You initially would think things that we're supposed to do would be on our minds, but Moses says, No, the commands are supposed to go into your heart, something that you begin to love. And Jesus is all about this. When he was with his disciples in John 14, 15, he said this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Because love moves from just that emotion to the commitment to obedience. The apostle John added this. He says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And then notice this, his commands are not burdensome. If you and I say that we love God, but we struggle to love his word, we actually have a fairly significant problem because those two two things always go together. His word and our love for him are linked together. And this is for everyone in this room or watching online today. If you are single, if you are married, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a friend, if you're a grandma, if you're a grandpa, I don't care who you are, you are called to first and foremost love God with everything there is about you. Because when you love, it changes you. You love and your love for God creates the foundation for your family to love God. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, my family doesn't seem to want to go to church. There's reasons outside of yourself for that, but just to recognize the love of God by your family is linked to the love of God visible by you. 
And that's pretty scary at times. So God's word, first of all, has to be internalized. And once it's internalized in you and me, then it goes to number two here. God's word will then be impressed onto your kids. You can follow along as I start reading in verse seven through nine. Impress them, that them meaning the commandments, the will of God, the truth of God. Impress that onto your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses recognized that the love of God does not naturally transfer from one generation to the next. It just doesn't happen by chance. The parent's job is to take the love that they have and then impress that upon their kids. And if you're grandparents, upon your grandkids. That word impress is interesting. It has the idea of repetition and it literally means to sharpen or to etch. And I love this quote here by uh, Merrill. He says this, the image is that of an engraver of a monument who takes hammer and chisel in hand and with painstaking care etches the text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting indeed, but once done, the message is there to stay. End of quote. I love that. God is challenging you and me to etch the truth, the truth of God's word into your kids, to take the chisel of your life and begin to make marks in the hearts of your children, repeating daily the truth of God's word so that your kids will grasp that and begin to understand how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. This actually makes sense. Unless your kids are geniuses, which everyone thinks their kids are geniuses, but unless they are, your kids are not reading the Bible before they're reading you. In those early years of development, they are reading you like a book because they don't know how to read words on a page yet. And they are reading what your life is like and they're watching how you and I act and they're observing your values and they're seeing what matters most to you. You are their Bible and they're unpacking you. And that's why it's so important that you have this in your life so that it comes out to your kids. In a moment, we're gonna get real practical. I'm gonna unpack how you do that. But I wanna remind you first for anyone here that God wants this, even if you don't have a home of your own, this is not just for parents. This isn't just for families. This is for you. Because everyone in this room has the opportunity to impress, to etch the word of God into someone in your life. The apostle Paul told the church in Philippi, he says, whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Whatever you've seen in me, recognize I'm etching that into your life to this church in Philippi. To the people in Corinth, 
He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. No matter who you are, you are called to impress God's word into those in your relational world, to etch the truth into their lives. That might be someone at your work. That might be someone at your school. That might be someone in your neighborhood. That might be someone that you just spend time with. But like a child watching a parent in the home, you've been supernaturally and strategically placed into someone's life and they are watching you. And they're discovering what the word of God is all about by what you are etching onto their heart. So when we unpack the strategy for how parents can impress God's truth into their kids, I hope you could track with me if you're not a parent, if you're an empty nester or maybe you have no kids yet or maybe you're single, wherever you're at, track that same thought and say, how do I do that in my life? How do I apply that strategy? So here's going. If you look at these notes, it says, first of all, Moses says, talk about them right at the end of, uh, middle verse seven, talk about them when you sit at home. Sit at home. What is that? It's just meals. It's helping with homework. It's listening to music. It's cleaning rooms. Uh, how many of you have a couch? Anyone have a couch? The rest of you are lying probably. You probably have a couch. That means you can sit at home. So you've got this already. You're already nailed. You already, you already got half there. While you sit at home, do these kind of things. The second one there is when you walk by the way, implying that you teach your kids the things of God while you're doing life. While you're on vacation, while you're traveling, while you're dropping them off at school, while you're at the grocery store, while you're going on a hike together, while you're in the car traveling. Do any of you have a car? Thank you. It's getting better. We're being honest finally. If you have a car, I mean, do any of you have any roads that you could walk? Yeah, see, this is very practical. This is not like, oh, I got to be a crazy, holy person. This is just as you're going through life, there's opportunities that are going to present themselves. Moses says, he goes on, and when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, do your kids go to sleep at night? Some of you say, probably not. They're there to stay. When those kids go to bed, that's an opportunity to go into them and say, here's my moment. And imagine you come in with this as a little chisel to say, I could do a little bit tonight right before bed to tell them how much I love Jesus Christ. And then Moses says, when you rise up, there's a chance that you can actually teach your kids how to start the day off right with Jesus. The bottom line here is that you're going to need to take the word of God in every situation, every angle, every opportunity, at any moment in time to let your kids, your family, or your friends know what God has done for you. Now, if you're like me, I live a pretty busy life. And it could be tempting to say, well, that seems like a lot of work, Kurt. That seems like, man, that's more. It really isn't meant to be more work. I want you to catch this. It isn't adding more to your busy schedule. This is saying, I assume that if God's word is something I am in regularly and I am in there constantly, then I'll naturally be talking to my kids about it consistently. 
You see that? It's not more. It's saying, I'm in God's word, therefore it's going to flow out of me. It's going to flow out of you. So it starts with that when, anytime, anywhere. And then Moses goes on to the how. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Tie them, bind them, secure them, write them down. Moses is saying, attach them to who you are. Do anything you can to hold on to those so you do not forget them. And he has four areas right here he lists for us. He says, first, put it on your hands. The hands are ideas of actions. It's what we do. Put the word of God into what you do actively. Then he says, on your foreheads. The Hebrew here literally is between the eyes. Put it somewhere here where you're thinking about this, where it's something you ponder and process. It's what you do. It's what you think about. Then he says here, put it on the door frames, talking about our family. What is your home like? It's not just here for you and here for you, what you do, but it's now it's what's your home. And then he says your gates, emphasizing the extended relationships you have to what we call at our church, your oikos. From your actions to your thoughts, to your home, to your world. Moms and dads, as you fill your homes and your minivans and your playgrounds with the word of God and the love of God, it's like a domino. And you say, I'm gonna start with me. I'm gonna get my life as best I can. None of us are perfect. None of us are without error. We fail all the time, but we start and say, I'm gonna start. And then all of a sudden, we watch our lives and it pushes over. And the next domino to fall is the fact that our kids start picking up on the love of God and the love of word, a love of God and the love of his word in our own lives. And as they pick it up, then it begins to grow in our family. Starts with us, then to our kids, then the entire family begins to grow. And then the world watches your family do life together and the world says, you guys are different. Not different, we're different, you know what I'm saying. You've probably been called the other different too. But there's something different about that family. And then your relational world is drawn to that story of Christ because you are living out this by the grace of God and in the power of his spirit. As I mentioned before, if you are not a parent, this still relates to you in your workplace, in your family, in your extended friend group. They're still watching your life. You have eight to 15 people that are observing you. This passage is really interesting because the Jews who first got this actually took this quite literally. They actually put boxes on their foreheads and they put boxes on their hands so that they would put scriptures inside of it and they walked around them. Jesus actually refers to this. If you go to Israel today, they have mezuzah, which are little door on the door frames of a house. They're little holders. And inside of that, there are scriptures put in there, usually Deuteronomy chapter six. They literally wrote these things down because they didn't want to miss it. But whether or not they're to be taken literally is really to be a debate. And I actually don't think that was. 
But the larger issue is that what they did externally, they did not ever take internally. What was meant to be applied to their lives, the scripture coming to life, they put into boxes on their hands and their forehead and they put under the door frames of their house, but they didn't put it into their heart. So many of them. And lots of families today encounter the same problem. Maybe it's you. Trying to live externally what God has not done to you internally. I don't see any of you here with boxes on your hands or on your forehead. But you might be trying to look the part of a Christian on the outside but you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Hear me on this, please. Trying to act like Jesus without actually being like Jesus is tiring, frustrating, and utterly draining. If you are trying to look like Jesus without actually becoming like Jesus, it is going to be the most draining life you ever could imagine. And imagine that now. You're supposed to take that to your home. And not only now you're pretending yourself, you're trying to have your family see you. And that is something no one is meant to carry. To bear that kind of weight. You can't lead your home to Christ tomorrow if you're not actively following Christ today. Just isn't possible. And that's kind of harsh and difficult to hear, so let me walk through some ways that you, if you're following Christ, some practical ways you can do this. In your notes, I put it this way. First, you need to be attentive. Look for those opportunities. Be aware and attentive to when things happen. I don't know if any of you have been given, let's say, $10 extra change from a grocery store. Anyone else that have to get extra change? So you go, and some of you are like, sweet, and you pocket it, and you hit the road. Some of you are like, I'm going to go do the right thing, and I'm going to return it. That's great, too. Wouldn't it be great is if your kids are with you, you walk them in and say, you know what? I love Jesus Christ. He runs our home, and it's not just because we're trying to be moral but I have someone I please that's far greater than me. We want to make this right. Thank you so much for our caring for us and our groceries. We want to return this. Your kids moved from a moral lesson to a spiritual lesson because you're saying God is the one that drove that decision. Pay attention to those places and spaces in life where sometimes you miss. Number two, be balanced. Each of us has to find ways to teach and impress our kids. Now, if I was to take a poll in this room or if you're watching online, there's typically two kinds of parents. And in this room, I can almost guarantee it. In fact, we have a very difficult time being balanced as parents. In fact, turn to someone nearby and say, you are imbalanced. There's a lot of truth to what just happened in this room. <laughs> well, you laugh at that because we are imbalanced. Some people are, Jesus loves you and you're amazing. You can do anything. Yay! And then you have the people going, you're never going to make it. Step up, do your job, get to work. You have those people in your life. It's just kind of normal. 
And if you're whatever which one of those you are, work hard to be the balance to that so that you're not always good cop and you're not always bad cop. In your home, work hard to be blessing if you're the person who points out shortcomings. And if you're the person who points out shortcomings, the other way around, blessings, do that well. You have to be balanced because your kids are watching that as well. Number three, be prepared. Now, this is difficult because you might be thinking, I don't know how to do this, Kurt. You're telling me I'm supposed to do it when we're walking along the road and lying down and getting up and in the car. I'm not sure I know how to do this. I'm not sure I'm prepared. I want to let you know that no one is prepared until you get help. And as a church, we are here to help you. Tuesday night, we have growth night. We have events and classes happening Tuesday here on this campus in Victorville. We'd love to have you attend. Start some growth things in your life. If you have kids in our program, when you get to your, pick up your kids, they're gonna have a little card just like this. And these cards like this is a, on the backside, it's about Ruth if you're having littlest ones today. And there's questions, a family discussion. You can talk about these while you're driving home. It's pretty easy. If you have kids in the uh, junior high programs, I mean, in the uh, preteens, they're doing humility this weekend. But it's practical, but there are ways that you can take another step forward just by the simple things of being prepared to have that conversation. Fourth, be creative. Find new ways of sharing insights and truth from God's word. Look for opportunities. Look for things that are fun, engaging with your kids. And then take that time to tell them about the amazing things God has done for you in his word. My wife, Wendy, and I um, have had our share of failures as parents. All of us have. We've had moments where we've been pretty cool, too. 19 years ago, I remember driving from Bryce Canyon. We're on a family vacation. We're in our, was it the Astro or the Suburban? It was the Suburban. And I remember driving in the Suburban, and we're driving outside of Bryce. It's right around dusk, right, toward the, right before it gets to nightfall. We're driving around the corner and we're, as typical in our family, the music is cranked up. And we're listening to a called song from a group called Starfield. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And we're just cranking it out and we're singing and it was a great day. And we come around the corner and it's just at dusk. It's not dark, but it's getting close. And we turn around the corner and we're singing the songs and all the windows are down. It's super loud because that's how, you know, that's nice. It's anyway, so we're driving along and we come around the corner and in this meadow, there had to be a hundred deer just kind of grazing. And so I'm like, this is awesome. So I pull over on the side of the road. We left the windows down and the music's still cranking. I mean, and it's almost as if the deer looked over and go, I like the song. <laughs> they didn't move. They just were there. And I'm like, this is amazing. We finished the song. We sang the song um, and we get done with that. And I, we just turn it off. And the deer are just wandering, walking like right around by us. And I said, kids, take your head and look out the window. And you started to see the stars begin to populate what we could see of them. And there was a breeze going through our car. And the deer never moved. And we had a moment of worship in our suburban and we talked about how great God is. 
We talk the beauty of his creation, that the whole earth is filled with his glory. We aren't perfect parents, but at least for one moment, we had that time where I was, Wendy was, alert to a moment, and we found a way to take that and turn it into a family deepening experience. You can do that in your homes. This is not impossible for you. Moses gives us one last final takeaway. He's basically telling us that practicing God's word insulates us. It insulates you from an empty life. Look at verses 10 through 14. It says this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and all the groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. It's an interesting addition to this text. The commands, the decrees, the directives from God, we hold on to those. They move into our heart. We love God, we love his word. Then we impress that upon our kids and we pour it into their lives so they begin to pull up that as well and our family grows built on God's love and God's word. And then he says, basically in light of that, be careful because when you go into the land, something's gonna happen potentially. And if you don't hold on to God's word, you're going to struggle because God's word insulates you from failure and it, when it's gone, opens you up to attack. It's like glue that holds us both to God and what he wants us to do. Be careful, he says, that when you eat and are satisfied, that is comfort. In your notes, we're gonna walk through just a quickly this idea of what happens when the word of God is not a part of your life. It starts with comfort. This idea of being satisfied. You get to the point where life is going great. You're, you're happy with God, that's fine, but you're not focused on God and you get very comfortable and satisfied with your position in life. Then it says here, be careful, the idea of apathy. You're gonna have to be careful because comfort leads to apathy. And then apathy, because it says here, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Apathy leads to forgetting. Comfort leads to apathy. Apathy leads to forgetting all that God has done for you. And then once you forget, once you begin to forget those things, it leads to disloyalty. God becomes lesser than and you find substitutes for him. That's why he says here, don't follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. And after disloyalty comes disintegration. That is the pattern 
in the lives of so many people we read about in scripture because they forget God, even in the midst of all that God had done for them, they become disloyal to God, they walk away from them, and they have their hearts turned to something or someone else. And that pattern is not just true of people in the Bible. That pattern could be true of you in your home. I've been a pastor a long time, and I've counseled lots of folks And this is what happens to broken marriages. A husband gets apathetic about a wife. A wife begins to forget the reason she fell in love with her husband. He's frustrated, so he becomes disloyal to her and attaches his heart to someone or something else. She and them have a marriage that's disintegrated. This pattern is true of every relationship. And it is deeply true of a relationship to God. That's why he calls you and I to hold on to his word. He doesn't want us to walk away and to have families that are disintegrated because the comforts and the pathetic life that we have take over who we are. Psalm 78, 8 says this, talking about the people of Israel, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. That is a warning from God's word for every one of us. God longs for us to be loyal in love with him. And when that fails to happen in your life, that is when things fall apart. Someone once said, home is where life makes up its mind. It's a place where your kids and your family decide what matters to you. And I had it on the title of our notes today, how to live an impressive life. I hope you can see where I was going with that. Because the most impressive life you can have is one where God's word is alive and active in you and you are intentionally impressing that word on those that you love most. So I encourage you, saturate your life with this. Learn it, love it, obey it, submit to it, model it, and then share it. If you do those things, you're gonna stand firm in any place that God has sent you. And when you do, the joy you'll find in knowing that you brought honor to God and you found joy that comes from living for him will change everything about you. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I can do that. It might be because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. And if you've come to the point in your life where you know you need a savior and you need help 
you don't know what that's been, but you know God is calling and tugging on your heart today, you can start that relationship with God. It's as simple as admitting, first of all, that you are broken, that you are sinful, that you have disobeyed God, that you don't listen to his word and you don't follow it. It's be believing that though that is something you are, that Jesus Christ came down and lived perfectly in your place. As the Bible has says that he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might take on the righteousness, the goodness, the holiness of God. He becomes your sacrifice to pay the penalty of sin. And then see is to choose, is to choose and place your faith even now in Jesus Christ. It's your choice to say, God, I give you my life and I want to start by loving you because the world around me needs to see that. I want to love you because you are the God of the universe. And so I give you my life. Send me where you want to send me. Guide my way. If that has been your heart, you could just pray those kind of things quietly to God. Prayer is just talking to God and you can tell him those things. And if you believe that, let us know you've made that decision. Talk to someone who maybe you came with today. Write that on the card that you came in with. Let us know of that decision. And Lord, for the rest of us that perhaps already know you, we admit how often we fail, how often your word is not what dwells in our heart, God, but it sits on a shelf. Forgive us, God, where we do not prioritize that. And even today, God, would you motivate us to take your word and to put it into action so those people around us, the ones that we love most, might love you back. We ask your blessing over our lives so that we can bless others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.